Byrne, your host for this podcast series, in which we share conversations with interesting and inspiring people in the large yacht industry. Today, I am pleased to welcome Deb Radke, the president of American Yacht Agents. This is a full-service yacht agency and concierge service, and as such, this is a little different for us. Normally on Mega Yacht News Radio, we feature people who have a lot of interaction directly with yacht owners and their bu- and the buyers. Um, now, Deb and her team do sometimes deal directly with owners, of course, but they often assist captains and crew. So since Mega Yacht News isn't focused on crew issues, you might be wondering why we're seemingly shifting gears. There's a good and unfortunately troubling reason. It's a situation that involves crew that directly impacts those of you who are owners and who are part of the owner's team. Despite abundant, accurate information that is readily available from a wide variety of reliable sources, including Deb and her team, non-American crew, who, as you may know, make up the majority of the global crew population, regardless of the owner's nationality, are applying for the wrong visas when they come to the United States for cruising, for refit work, and for related matters. They're relying on hearsay. They're relying on word in crew houses, well-meaning but misinformed friends, and social media often. So that's why Deb is our guest on today's podcast. We're going to discuss once and for all what visa crew need and why how her background actually as a captain is helping to properly educate people and why really social media is not a crew member's friend in a situation like this and why those of you on the owner's immediate side should really take some notes. So without further ado, Deb, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. I really appreciate it. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Um, you know, talk about how you leverage your experience from your time aboard boats to help captains and the crew in, in everything that you do through American Yacht Agents. Well, I worked on yachts um, on board for 16 years. And I, um, even though I had a captain's license when I started in 95, I started as a cook stew um, happened to work for a great captain that was willing to teach me anything I wanted to learn. So I've had the good fortune of working in every department, including the engine room. And that gives me the hands-on experience to be able to basically work with every department on a boat and understand what it is that they need um, and help them try to make their lives a little bit easier because crews work very hard and uh, there are a lot of people that, uh, you know, the, the real client in their eyes is the, is the owner, rightly so. Um, we see our client as being the captain and crew, and our job is to make their job easier. Right. And as everybody knows, too, you have a, a happy crew, then you end up having a happy owner. So it really is important to make sure they can do their job properly. Yes. So then when it comes to this confusion and the misinformation that the non-American captains and crew are getting, um, what are they thinking they need to apply for? What are they being told from, you know, the hearsay and the chatter in the crew houses that they need to apply for? And the second part of the question is what is the right visa that they should be applying for? 
Well, it's not necessarily that they're applying for the wrong visa um, as much as it is the the chatter in the crew house um, doesn't help the situation. We've, we've run into situations in the last couple of years where if a vessel shows up for charter anywhere in the world, the... Um, the consular officers are saying it's a commercial vessel and therefore you need a C1D visa. Um, private vessels all have to have the, the proper visa for crew on a private vessel is the B1, B2. Um, if the vessel charters, what you can apply for or what you should apply for is the C1D on your application and then in your interview, ask additionally for the B1. The, the uh, big issue here is that if you arrive in the U.S. on a private vessel with only a C1D visa, um, they, won't deny, they won't necessarily deny you entry, but you will have to do another very expensive visa waiver. Um, so you need to be very clear on um, what... Uh, what type of vessel you're on. And you can have both visas. It's standard practice in the aviation industry for flight crews to have both the B1, B2 visa and the C1D visa because they, they bounce back and forth between commercial and private. Okay, so for a little more clarity, too, because all these visas are a, a bunch of, you know, alphabet and, and, and uh, numerical soup, um, what does the B1, B2 visa permit and not permit versus the C1D the the B1, C1D visa. The B1 visa is a visitor for business. It's a non-immigrant visa. It's a visitor for business. And uh, typically you're allowed entry for six months, although under the scope of the visa, it can be for a full year. Um, the B2 visa is a visitor for, for tourism. The C1 D visa, which is actually the C1, which is a transit visa, and the D, which is the crew visa. So what that does is that's for commercial crews, and it allows you 29 days because um, in the old days, we'll say, it, it could potentially take someone 29 days to get from the East Coast to the West Coast if they were leaving a vessel on the East Coast and joining a vessel on the West Coast. Okay. So despite your efforts and despite the efforts of organizations like the U.S. Superyacht Association, I know there's a lot of effort that's been done over the past couple of years to educate people, and a lot of right strides have been made. But there's still this, um, you know, the confusion is still out there, the the chatter about, no, you need this, no, you need that, Um people saying that they were denied a certain visa and somehow the the one person who was denied turns into a story about how six people were denied out of one particular <laughs> office. Um, you know, is it, is it just the, the time old problem of the, you know, the game like we used to play when we were kids of, of telephone by the time we get to the fourth or fifth person, the story starts to change or is it really, um, something you know deeper where there really isn't an understanding of what the differences are um i think that a lot of it is the age-old game of telephone 
and um, the you know, but it is important to apply for the correct visa. The other thing that has come up recently is uh, being able to use an ESTA if you are coming in on rotation <clears throat> or you know flying in to meet a boat that's that's immediately leaving because an ESTA only allows you 90 days. Um, we do recommend that in some very specific situations. And I did have a, um, a situation recently where we recommended it to a captain for a crew member that was going to be flying in to meet the vessel and immediately departing. And the crew member called him all in a panic and said, well, everyone at the crew house is telling me this. <laughs> and the captain pointed out that he may have a little more information than um, all of the people at the crew house. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so for those people who aren't familiar with the ESTA, what is an ESTA and what does it do that other documents don't? An ESTA is a visa waiver. So in, it's allowed to a, spe- to a specific group of countries. And unfortunately, I don't have that whole list off the top of my head. Uh, basically, the UK the EU, um, and it allows you to come in to the, you have to apply for the visa waiver online for the ESTA online. Um, It allows you 90 days, but you have to arrive on a signatory carrier, which typically means that you have to fly in on a commercial carrier. Okay. And then within that 90 day period, you are expected to depart the country or can you apply for an extension? Nope. You cannot apply for an extension. You have to depart. Okay. So then in those cases, uh, you were saying that there was a situation recently where you assisted a a captain in securing ESTAs. Um, What would be an example of a situation where it would make sense? Uh, They didn't have time to go through the process of, it was a, it was a, uh, an Australian crew member and they did not have time to go through the process of applying for the B-1 visa due to the schedule at the um, consulate where the crew member was going to be able to go. And okay. So, so, it was yeah, a, so it sounds like time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when, when somebody goes to the consulate to apply for the B-1, B-2 or the C-1D, what, what is the process like? What should they be prepared to bring? Um, is there a certain amount of time that's usually safe, so to speak, to expect it to, to be processed as well? Um, that is all on an individual basis. The most important thing is to provide enough documentation that shows that you have um, strong ties to your home country and that you have no intention of immigrating to the U.S. The, the onus is on the applicant to prove that they have no intention of immigrating to the U.S. And the directive that the consular offices, officers have is to assume that everyone they interview intends to immigrate to the U.S. So it's your job to prove to them that you do not intend that. Okay, so having something like a bank account or maybe a car or some kind of loan that ties you to your home country is is yes. what is important to to bring. Okay. 
And then what else do yeah. they need to bring? Obviously a passport. Um, but what about documentation from the boat? What type of, of letters or other documents should they bring? They should have their passport, seaman's book, um, uh, employment contract, uh, letter from the vessel, potentially a letter from the from their U.S. agent, uh, and again, anything, any other paperwork that uh, you know proves bank accounts and that sort of thing. Okay. Now, and even though I'm every... oh. oh, sorry, go ahead, continue. For for crew that are applying for B1 visas that don't have jobs yet, um, it's very important to have your Siemens book um, and basically, you know, say that as a professional mariner, you are applying for the visa because you you're being turned down for jobs because you can't uh, because you don't have the U.S. visa. Okay. And then depending on the consulate, like you said, it can take a different uh, different time. Maybe one consulate's busier than another. But generally speaking, is there um, you know is there a rule of thumb that it can take from say two months to six months or, or anything along those lines? Uh, it generally does not take that long. It generally um, generally you have your visa back within a week to two weeks. And okay, if good. for some reason there's a holdup. They should they should give you um, documentation that explains either they they're, they need additional information um, or uh, they they just need to look into your into your situation a little bit further. Okay, if um, if somebody does get one of those letters that says that they need more documentation or they need to come back for some other reason. Um, I, as I understand it, sometimes some of the crew get very nervous because they're, it's, you know, this big government, you know, questioning them and, and wondering whether they're legitimate. So what, what kind of advice do you give them for them to prepare for these interviews? Um, I would do mock interviews with your captain or someone in authority so that you, you know, are a little, so that you get past some of that nervousness. Um, and, you know, just take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds very simple, um, but you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. You're asking, you're legitimately asking for a visa to come to the U.S. Right. Now, when it comes to social media, um, you know, as much as social media can be a fantastic tool for keeping in touch with your friends and your family at home, et cetera, and also obviously on an industry side, a lot of boats will use social media to promote themselves for charter and and things along those lines. Um, Unfortunately, there can be a downside to social media and and what people are, are posting in terms of their private lives. What are some of the things that crew should really be careful about in terms of their own personal social media profiles? Probably where we run into the biggest issue is um, crew that's going for a renewal. And, um, you know, if you've got lots of photos posted of your time in Fort Lauderdale and that cool new flat that you got and your American girlfriend or boyfriend and oh, that really nice puppy that you just adopted. Um, 
they're going to look at that and say, hmm, looks like looks to us like you're planning on staying in the U.S. So um, you need to be aware of the uh, information that you're putting out there. Is is the social media analysis, for lack of a better word, part of the routine for most of these consulates? Do they really go out and check the social media profiles? Um, my understanding is that it's becoming more common. Yeah, which would make sense because it's it's all public. Even even when people think that they have a private page, it's not really private. It's still part of a, a public document, if you will. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then whether whether there's a um, a yacht owner that you're dealing with or the crew member that you're dealing with. Um, if they come to you and say, Deb, oh my gosh, we're having a big problem. Um, you know, is there any advice that you usually give them? Is there any uh, assistance that you can give them in processing the paperwork? Anything along those lines? Um, I mean, the, we did run into a situation where we had a very large vessel and they had um, ended up with, with several um, denials for the B1 visa. Uh, and so we knew, we knew that we had a crew member going into Paris and through our, um, through our contacts um, with the Department of State, we were CBP and Department of State, we were able to follow that crew member's application process. And when they were denied, we were able to find out why they were denied. Because unfortunately what happens a lot of times is we get the feedback from the crew member and all they tell us is, well, I don't know, they denied me. Um, because I think they, they sometimes don't listen carefully enough or they just take, they, they make the assumption that, well, I've been denied now, I'm never going to get another visa. In, and they shut down instead of um, listening to what's being said. And, you know, they are given a, if they're denied or if, if things are on hold, they are given documentation for that. So backing up to the situation where we had in Paris, um, what happened was that the, the consular officer looked at the size of the vessel. Um, it was well over a hundred meters and said, well, this is a commercial vessel. It was so beyond that person's comprehension that a private individual would own a vessel that large and have it strictly for their personal use. Um, and that's one of the biggest efforts that we've been making with our um, regular meetings with, with uh, the representative from the Department of State that we work with through um, USSA and MIASF, Marine Industry Association of South Florida, um, is to work on some of the education of the consular officers so that they do understand that yes, there are private yachts that are strictly private that are well over a hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I would, I would say an education process that's ongoing on all sorts of levels. And those of us who are in the industry don't bat an eye at, 
seeing a private yacht that's 100 meters. And even though it still is an anomaly to a certain degree, we're seeing it more and more. So we say, oh, yeah, of course, it, it's still a yacht. But if you're not entrenched in our industry, you're you're not going to think that the size of a cruise ship <laughs> could be exactly. something that, that one person would be using, right? So, yeah, education is something I'm sure that you and many people will need to keep doing for some time since there are new agents coming in all the time. And, and certainly in another couple of years, we could be seeing more 150 meters and who knows 200 meter vessels. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ongoing for sure. Okay. So one more question before we wrap up, I'd I'd like to end on a hopefully more happy note. Um, When <laughs> this is when you talk about visas, I think you can see people's body language tighten up, like oh my gosh, you know, it's it's nerve wracking to a certain degree, and and understandably because you're dealing with a government. But um, at the end of the day, you do obviously more than that. You're helping the owners and their crew, um, you know, go about their their cruising and and um, enjoyment, you know, needs when they're stateside. So for you, what's the best part of working with them, whether you're dealing with a captain, you're dealing with an owner, you're dealing with a, a cheap stew? Um, helping them have a, a successful trip. I mean, if it's, uh, you know, we get, a, we get a mixture of boats that are coming in for refit or resupply or reprovision or whatever. And um, increasingly now we're having more boats uh, coming into the U.S. that have um, guests on board and are doing um, guest trips. And so the, I think the most rewarding is when we introduce them to someplace new that the, that the guests or even the crew have never been in Florida um, and they end up being really excited about it. Uh, and then when we start to tell them about other places that they can cruise in the U S um, we've got more and more boats that are large yachts that are cruising up the East coast. And when I tell them that they can, you know, virtually go into, Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia, um, a lot of these foreign foreign captains and crews are, are totally surprised to hear that. Yeah, I'm sure it's not something that you would, uh, you would ordinarily think you could do. That's great. We tend to think oh. more so about the big, you know, coastal cities like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Seattle, et cetera. So that's terrific. Right. The U.S. has a lot of really neat areas to cruise that are really pretty much undiscovered by a lot of the foreign foreign owners and foreign crew. Yep, very good. Well, Deb, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain what the visas, what proper visas they need to apply for, what the visas allow them to do. Um, and the, the other details that come into play when there's a little bit of confusion. Um, hopefully we will prevent uh, some crew members from being confused and um, their owners and their captains feeling a little bit more secure. Hopefully. And we're always here to answer questions. Absolutely. Everybody, if you'd like to learn more about what Deb and her team can do, you can visit their website which is AmericanYachtAgents.com. That wraps up another episode of Mega Yacht News Radio. We thank you so much for listening. 
If you would like to learn more about what's going on in the world of large yacht cruising, new construction and design, of course, we encourage you to check out our daily updated website, which is megayachtnews.com. Until next time, I'm Diane Byrne. Thank you.